Well, welcome everybody to week two of our series on godly character, and we're especially focusing in on integrity. And last week we looked at this beautiful artwork and we talked about the shocking fact that this sculpture of David has cracks in his ankles. This sculpture is lacking in integrity. It will fall one day and when it does, the ramifications will be catastrophic. Same thing can happen in our relationships. When we don't live with integrity, lives can be smashed apart. And this is not the way of life that Christ calls us to. He calls us to be people whose word is our bond. And he says in the Sermon on, of, on the Mount, let your yes be yes and your no, no. No need to pinky swear as kids do or swear on the Bible as if your word isn't strong enough. God calls his disciples to be known for their integrity, which is the resolve and the courage to do, to do the right and noble thing, even if it costs you. I hope that the takeaway for you last week was this five word saying, let your yes be yes. And today, as we tease out what it means to live with godly integrity, I want to add another powerful short statement to this one on your fridge. And then I want to leave you with another story about art. Surprise, surprise. There is an image or an idea about integrity that is found all over the scriptures, but especially in the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is a book of wise sayings like, like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And here is the statement about integrity from Proverbs. It says, the integrity of the upright guide them. In other words, for people who are upright, who want to do the right thing to be like Jesus, integrity is their filter. It's their guiding principle. It helps them when there is a difficult decision to be made. Here's a question for you. When you have a difficult decision to make, what guides you? What, what filter do you put it through? Are you guided by what will make you look good or what feels good to you, what your friends say is the best thing to do, maybe what gets you the best financial outcome. I think we would like to think that integrity, doing the right and noble thing, guides us always, but we don't really know until making the right choice is going to cost us. I can tell you something that happened in my life. I was confronted with a difficult choice many years ago when I was working at a Christian high school. It came to my attention after working there for a couple of years that my salary and those of the other part-time staff did not equate with the award wage that was specified by the government. Now I had to do some digging to track this down because the award wages were never published to the staff, which was also a legal requirement of all schools. Now, I naively thought this was just a mistake by the principal, and I joyfully went to his office to explain the mistake, assuming that he would be so grateful to me for pointing this out and the problem would be remedied. Boy, was I wrong. 
I left his office in tears and I found out after he threatened me that I was in danger of losing my job. Well, more on the end of that story in a moment. Now let's go back to this proverb. The integrity of the upright guides them. Now the Hebrew word upright literally means to stand up straight, to put your shoulders back, put your chin up and look forward. Now this is a different stance from standing like this, sort of hunched over and looking down. In this posture, all I can see is right in, in front of me, which is, which is great, but it limits my perspective and it limits my options. When I live like this, in this posture, it's like the immediate versus the ultimate. It's, it's like what's happening now versus what's going to come later. It's I'll do what feels right for me now versus, wow, there are implications down the track if I go in that direction and they're not good. When you walk with integrity, you stand up straight, you take the long view, you look up, you look out. And here is my new statement to add to your let your yes be yes. You play the movie forward. You stop and think and pray long enough to see into the future, to see where your actions could take you. You roll the story forward. You ask God to speak through your imagination. Are you acting in integrity, even if the choice is a hard one, even if the consequences could be painful for you? Now, this can start with small challenges. For example, you're given $20 too much change at the at the checkout by, by the person in Woolies. So the short view would be, whoopee, what can I buy with $20? But the long view, you play the movie forward. The one who made the mistake would have to pay for it when they reconciled their till that night. And if I walk away from honesty here, it could be a little easier for my soul to walk away from honesty when something bigger happens. Another example could be that you and some mates are going out and you're dobbed in to be the designated driver. Now, the short view could be, I'm at this party and I'm not drinking and I'm missing out. Look, maybe if I just have one, one won't hurt. The long view, play the movie forward. I've made a promise. I want to be known as a person whose yes means yes. And obviously, I want all of my mates to get home safely. Perhaps you're struggling in your marriage. The reality of sharing your life with an imperfect person could be weighing you down. And the temptation is to walk away. The short view could be, I need to look after my own happiness. Maybe there is, there is someone else who I could be happier with. But the long view, play the movie forward. 
What will this do for the future of my kids? What happens when this new relationship also sours? How do we get help to move through this dark tunnel and perhaps come out the other side stronger? Now let me go back to my, my school experience. Now the short view for me was perhaps to stay quiet about the injustice, to just let it slide, accept the situation and keep my job. The long view. I thought about the integrity of this school that I loved as a workplace. I thought about the other staff that were in the same position as I was. I thought of the Christian principles of justice and truthfulness, and they're very important to me. The result for me this time was ultimately positive, although the stress of that situation was horrendous at the time. The principal was asked to leave by the board and I kept my job with back payment for what was owed uh, as well as the other staff. The employment practices of the school were brought into line with government requirements. But I could have been out of a job and I was preparing myself for that. The consequences of my desire for integrity could have been very difficult, but ultimately I felt I had done what God had required of me. Think about your greatest financial regret, your regret. Where were you playing the movie forward? Think about your greatest relationship regret. Were you standing up straight and looking into the future? Last week I made it really clear that we all have cracks in our ankles. We all mess up. A person of godly integrity is not a perfect person but they are the ones who own their own mess and do their best to clean it up. Please hear me on this one because it's part of playing the movie forward. The health of your relationships with your family, your kids, your spouse, your friends, your work colleagues, maybe your employees if you have them, the respect they have for you is contingent on your integrity not your infallibility. It's okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to cover up and lie about it. We could say it this way. Integrity is the oil in the machinery of relationships. It helps them to run smoothly. We own our own mess. We are honest about our mistakes. We seek to reconcile and make amends, play the movie forward. Eventually there is a price to pay if we don't straighten up, take a long view look, think about the ultimate direction you are going rather than the immediate pleasure of the moment. Who do you want to be? What do you want your legacy to be? Well, let me finish by telling you a story about a person whose life inspires me to play the movie forward and see God's hand gently guiding me. Who would you say is the most loved, most famous of painters? 
Well, some of you would say Vincent van Gogh. There is a big exhibition on in Melbourne at the moment, which is amazing. Van Gogh is one of the world's most popular painters. This beloved work, Iris's, last sold for a mere 59 million, and that's not his best price. But when Vincent was alive, he was a commercial disaster. He sold only one painting and only survived because of the support of his brother, Theo. We know from the many letters that he wrote to his brother that this was devastatingly disappointing to him as he felt like a burden on everyone. He was so despondent at his lack of artistic success that he eventually shot himself in the stomach and died a few days later. But now everyone knows his name and loves his artwork. 1888 was a huge year for art. Artists like Renoir, Monet, Degas, Van Gogh were at the peak of their powers. In that same year, a 35-year-old woman named Lilius Trotter boarded a train that cut through France where all of those painters were at work and she was on her way to the port of Marseilles to catch a boat leaving Europe. Both Lilius and Vincent lived in relative obscurity up to that point, but they were both chasing after the same thing, fulfillment of a calling to see and create beautiful things. Now, I'd never heard of Lilius Trotter, but a story has gripped me. She was brought up in London in a Christian family and developed two things, a passionate love of God and a passionate love of art. At the age of 23, she met John Ruskin. Now, John Ruskin was a superstar in the art world in the 1880s. He was the professor of fine arts at Oxford University. He was incredibly influential. If John Ruskin said something was good, everyone said it was good. He was like a major social media influencer today. John Ruskin was an authority on art whose opinion was taken seriously, and he was passionate about developing artistic talent, especially young female artists. Now, Lilius's mother happened to meet him one day and showed him some of her daughter's sketchbooks and watercolour paintings, and he was blown away by her talent. He saw incredible potential in her and believed he could shape her into one of the world's great artists. She became his pupil and was on track to be lauded as one of the greatest artists in the world. Can you imagine if Van Gogh had had that opportunity? He would have jumped at it. Lilius saw the world and painted it with great honesty, but her ability to look deeply at the world caused her to see its suffering. She started working with the Young Women's Christian Association, ministering to the destitute women and prostitutes on the streets of London. And as she did, she kept drawing and painting, sending Ruskin her work. But Ruskin was not satisfied. If she was going to be the great artist he knew she could be, she had to have a singular focus. The potential he recognised in her could only come to fruition if she devoted herself wholly to her art. He told Lilius that if she could devote herself to art, quote, she could be the greatest living painter in Europe and do things that would be immortal. He wanted her to choose between her ministry and her art, forcing her to face the crisis of her life. 
Can you imagine trying to play the movie forward on that one? Greatest artist in the world, giving joy to thousands of people, incredible financial success, artistic immortality, or obscurity and a life of serving the poor. Lilius wrote to a friend about how difficult the decision was. She wrestled, she prayed, she couldn't eat or sleep. But as she prayed, a memory came to her. God was helping her to play the movie forward. And in her memory, she was young and in church about to put her offering into the offering plate. And carved into the middle of the plate was the pierced hands of Christ. And seeing it, she emptied her entire purse into the dish. What else could she do? If the hand of Christ asked for what she possessed, what else could she possibly withhold? She wrote to a friend, I see clear as daylight now that I cannot dedicate myself to painting in the way that Ruskin means and continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. She would give herself to the poor and perhaps use her art in their service. She worked with impoverished women in London for the next 10 years and then followed a call to be a missionary and traveled to Algeria in North Africa which was a Muslim country. That was where her train was taking her as she traveled past Van Gogh's town in 1888. She arrived in that country with no contacts, no language, no cross-cultural training, but just set about caring for women and children. But she saw great beauty in the land and the people. She revolutionized mission work by using her pictures to teach gospel stories and training nationals to work beside her. She served the people of Algeria for 40 years. Here is one of her quotes. Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. You older folk might recognize this as the inspiration for a beloved Christian song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Things of earth will come strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You and I have never heard of Lilius Trotter, but she's famous in the kingdom of God. She played the movie forward. She stood upright and saw Jesus beckoning her into her future. And every other ambition became strangely dim. She was a woman of integrity. Let your yes be yes. Play the movie forward. God wants to use you in powerful ways. Maybe not Algeria maybe the peacemaker in your family, the kindest voice in your classroom, the voice of wisdom in your lunchroom, the one who puts the kingdom of God first in their service and in their finances. It will cost you, but you will live with no regrets.